She broke the glass ceiling, we said, when she went to be the senior minister of the Riverside Church in New York City. And then the glass cut her on the way down. Well, we're going to talk to the Reverend Amy Butler about her rise and fall and her rising again uh, after being the minister of that great church in New York. Stay tuned for Good God. Welcome to Good God, conversations that matter about faith and public life. I'm your host, George Mason, and I'm delighted to welcome to the program today my dear friend, the Reverend Amy Butler. Amy? Hey, George. Glad to you? have you. Glad to be here. So good to visit. And it's been a few months now since we've seen each other in person, mm -hmm. and a lot's happened in the last few months. That's my right. goodness. So you were, the last time we were together uh, in person, uh, the senior minister of the Riverside Church in New York City. And you had been for five years. Five years, can you believe it? Um, I can't. Yes. <laughs> it, it, it seemed like 50 years at, it's, at times, didn't it? It did. I, I mean, well, but now it's no more. Right. So since, since that time, you've been uh, uh, reeling a bit because um, your relationship to Riverside, how shall we say this, um, unceremoniously ceased. <laughs> That's a beautiful <laughs> way to say it, George. You sound like a preacher. Yeah, or a politician, but um, I think everybody wants to know what happened. So I know that you are under some constraints about what you can say, right. um, but uh, be as unconstrained as you can so that people can understand a little more um, because what some have heard or read in the media, as we know, uh, is quite distorted. Um, and so here's your moment. Tell us what you can. You know, George, I always imagined that I would be pursued by the paparazzi, but not for <laughs> <laughs> this. Yes. So, yeah, it's, it's been a wild ride. Um, so, as you know, my contract was, was coming up for renewal, and things were going really well. Okay, let's just stop there okay. and say, before, before we go any further, a lot of people are, are already thinking, wait a minute, your contract, you were the pastor of a church and right. you had a contract, right. which, which actually only goes to speak to the unique culture of the Riverside Church, right. which in many ways functions more like a religious nonprofit than what most people understand as a church. Right. It's, it's kind of different, isn't it? That's a great point. It's important to remember, this is like a $15 million annual budget. Yes. Uh, almost 200 employees. It's a large corporation with a $150 million endowment. Right. And, you know, my job was not just to be the resident theologian right. and preacher, but to be the head of the corporation. Right, right. So, um, you know, it, w it was a huge job. And mm -hmm. as you know, and as all of us know, Riverside had struggled for some time. And over these last five years, I had the incredible opportunity to bring on this amazing staff and to, to try the experiment of building beloved community in this beautiful historic church. And, you know, you and I talked from the very beginning about what a high risk 
this was, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. high risk, high reward. And as you know, I'm not afraid of failure and I like high, high risk situations. And I thought, you know, the church in America needs to be shaken up. Like mm -hmm. if anybody could do it, maybe Riverside could, mm -hmm. let's give it a shot. Right. And things were going really, really well. And um, when the church made the decision, the church council made the decision not to renew my contract, I was surprised and, and disappointed. And I had anticipated spending the next five years hopefully shifting the institution more toward the modern conversation about what and who the church can be in the world. But um, I have to say, my five years at Riverside were amazing. Mm -hmm. I learned so much. I had the most amazing experiences. I had met some amazing people. Too, I did. You? Yes, I met some amazing people, and right. I had the opportunity to help build this beloved community that mm -hmm. is just so beautiful. And you, you got to watch from the sidelines and came to New York often to give me a strict talking to about taking <laughs> care of myself. And um, it really was the hardest work I've ever sure. done in my life. And mm -hmm. um, I'm really proud of, of the work that my colleagues and I did there over mm -hmm. these five years and pretty darn proud that I made it five years. Right, right. Well, and I, I think uh, for many people when you went, uh, I think they would have even been surprised that you made it five years mm -hmm. because Riverside's uh, history with pastors in recent times has not been a proud one. Uh, it's been it's been challenging and difficult. Uh, everyone who's uh, watching or listening to this uh, program doesn't probably know Riverside and its history, but we should probably spend a few moments filling them in and helping them understand that uh, you you really went to a church uh, that has a reputation in the progressive wing of Christianity as being uh, the American cathedral in a sense. Mm. Uh, it's, um, it's a classic Protestant church, uh, the tallest church in uh, Protestant church in America. Okay. Uh, and your office way up in the, the nosebleed yep. uh, and beautiful, um, um, a beautiful picture of that highly educated um, sector of the Upper West Side uh, with Columbia and Union Seminary and uh, Jewish Theological and all the, the schools right there and then the Hudson River on the other side. Uh, a beautiful location. Uh, <clears throat> many people would probably remember that it was, it was built by John D. Rockefeller uh, who enlisted Harry Emerson Fosdick, the most famous or infamous preacher in America at the time. Uh, and, uh, and that was a, what, 30-year pastorate for him, wasn't it? Right. Yeah. Right. So there, it, it had this rich history and tradition, and all through the years, it was really a place where people came from around the world and key leaders and figures uh, like Martin Luther King Jr. and, and uh, Desmond Tutu and uh, people like that through the years. Uh, so here you are entering into this space as the first woman uh, to, be, uh, to be there. And in, in many ways, people said, whoa, Amy Butler just broke the glass ceiling. Mm. But the shards cut you back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So what, what reflections do you have about uh, that sense of how you both arrived and then experienced again what women so frequently do in high-level positions of leadership institutionally? That's, that's such a great question because I, I think um, one of my biggest surprises after I came to Riverside was, you know, I thought, okay, I, I have worked so hard. I, I'm very good at what I do. I have an opportunity here to come and pastor this amazing church. And the reason I came is because I could see that they had this amazing legacy, but they were longing to learn again what it meant to be beloved community, to be the church. And I think the gospel has resonance for mm -hmm. the modern conversation. And that, that drew me there, even despite all of what we know about Riverside and the way they mm -hmm. manage pastors. One of the things I heard when I first came was either you're for the church or for the pastor. Wow. And that was an ideology that I tried to dismantle, but mm -hmm. it, it had been there since Rockefeller and Fosdick. Yeah, yeah. You know, they, they separated um, their areas of responsibility and right. that just sort of became ingrained in the DNA. Yeah. And, and that does not do well for, for for collaborative no. work together. Right. And so um, that was something that I really, really pushed against. But one of the things that it really surprised me is this, I thought, okay, here I am, first woman, tallest church in America, Protestant cathedral. Thank goodness all the sexism is done. Aha, uh -huh. yes. It's worse. It's worse in, in the bigger places, in the um, more public places, in the, in the more storied institutions. Right. We saw it play out in the last presidential election, and right. we're seeing it now. It's hard to be a woman in, in the public sphere. You are held to a different standard. Mm -hmm. You experience sexism constantly. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I can't even tell you how many times I was kicked out of the nave when I went in there to prepare on a Saturday or something by the security guard who didn't know who I was. Oh my goodness. So many times. So many times. That's so interesting. So many times. Okay. And that's just a funny story, but it's like sort of. What, we we have this homeless woman wandering around yes, in, yes, the, in yes. the sanctuary of yes. Riverside yes. on a Saturday. Yes, yeah. That happened regularly, at least once a week, so that like a new security team member wouldn't know who I was. And yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was, it was constant. And, and it, it really started coming to the fore in the past couple of years as we we're watching this administration and the way that women are publicly being dismissed and um, treated in ways that are unacceptable. And then watching the Brett Kavanaugh hearings and seeing women sobbing in the pews and thinking to myself, the church is, is not speaking on this issue. In fact, right. the church is complicit. And by church, I mean like the, the church. church. Yeah. Right. So here we have uh, a church that prides itself in being uh, on the cutting edge of uh, inclusivity, diversity, these sorts of things. It is, it is a congregation when people look out on a Sunday morning, what they will see is a, a truly racially and ethnically diverse congregation. 
not something that is commonly seen in churches on a Sunday morning in America. So there's, there's at least the image mm. of Riverside gets it, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but then behind the scenes, there is this still this sense of um, the inability to treat women in high-level leadership in the same way that they might treat men. Uh, what do you make of where that comes from? That we still haven't progressed to the point where we don't make gender uh, such a factor in our evaluation of leadership? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and I'm, I'm guilty of this too. Like I have not spoken out as much as I should have about um, the evil of misogyny and how it pervades our society, but it, it's just in the water. It's yeah. in the water and we accept it. And mm -hmm. even me as a, a a woman in a man's profession, I just always knew I was going to have to work harder, I was going to try, have to try harder, do better, and I just accepted it and did not call it out as much as I mm -hmm. could have. And when the time came for me to call it out and pay a price, all I could think about was um, my daughter, who's, mm -hmm. you know, 22 years old, and I thought, it has to be better for her. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. we have to do better. Mm -hmm. And this issue, like so many others, like where is the church? Yeah. The church should be out front, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you and I have taken church history, so we know this is steeped in our institution right. and in our holy text even, and it's wrong, George, mm -hmm. it's so wrong. Yeah. Well, when we come back from the break, I, I want us to talk a little more about um, the, the unique challenges that women face in dealing with unwanted advances and comments and uh, harassment and things of that nature. Uh, because if, if we're going to do anything together in this program to help uh, in, in redressing this, uh, those who are listening need to, I think, learn those obvious and sometimes subtle things that happen that just have to stop and how we can build better relationships. So uh, let's take a break and we'll come back in a moment. Okay. The Good God Program is a project of Faith Commons, a nonprofit organization that I founded in 2018 to promote the common good. Think of a commons on a campus and how you can bring all your faith and people from all corners of the campus together. Think of the city that way. Think of the country that way. Faith Commons aims to bring people together to promote greater understanding and peace throughout our communities. You can find more information about it at faithcommons.org. We're back with Amy Butler. And Amy, we were talking before the break about how women in positions of leadership in the church have to endure things that men don't. Um, this is sometimes hard, I think, for many people to recognize because it, it seems even women 
have gotten so used to deflecting unwanted comments, uh, dealing with unwanted advances, uh, recognizing that this is just something they have to negotiate uh, all the time in their life. So why does a woman pastor need to complain about these sorts of things, right? So it always sort of comes back to uh, you're responsible to deal with this instead of men, men need to be responsible for their behavior, first of all. Let's actually go straight to the, the root cause and say, why is that okay? Uh, whether it's in the church or anywhere, right? So what is uniquely true, say, for you as a senior minister uh, that probably I don't have to deal with as a man who is a senior minister also? What would you say? Well, I don't know. Uh, I, um, I will add to that. I've experienced this from both men and women. Oh, uh, well, okay, thank you. <laughs> so, right. and I'm sure you have too. You yeah. know, it's just what happens when you're in a, a role of leadership. Um, right. I remember early in my first pastorate at Calvary, there was uh, a man in the church who was behaving inappropriately, and I asked the chair of the board of trustees, can you please come with me and sit down with this gentleman and help me explain to him why his behavior is unacceptable? And the chair of the board did, and he was an older white gentleman as well. And when we left the meeting, he said to me, well, isn't that nice? He got all dressed up for this meeting and he even wore aftershave. That's so, that's so sweet. And I thought, oh my goodness, you know, yeah. Um, so there seems to be a lack of connection. And mm -hmm. I think there are a lot of women who like me say, this isn't okay. This isn't okay. This isn't okay. And then, um, we get called complainers or whatever. Right. And we need advocates. Yeah. We need people who have power and privilege to say, this is unacceptable. It will not be tolerated here in this place. So when somebody is listening to this um, and, and we're talking about sexual harassment, what kinds of things are we talking about? Let's be more specific. Mm -hmm. Um, well, you can talk. Uh, you can mention things like um, you look really sexy today, or I couldn't concentrate on the sermon because you look so whatever. You right. know, there are those things. But for me, the more problematic things were uh, being in a meeting and presenting an idea or a plan and having it shot down, and then having a man say the same thing and everybody thinking it's great, mm -hmm. or being talked over or being talked at right. um, or being dismissed. How many times have I been in a meeting when I get to the end of the meeting and the person on the other side says, so are you the senior minister? Right, right. Um, those things are maddening to me. So that we have grades here. I mean, there's that what you just talked about there is just a lack of awareness that the role you're in and the position you're in deserves the same kind of respect that someone would have if, if a man were occupying that position. But then you ratchet that up to the level of inappropriate comments sexually or uh, inappropriate uh, touching or um, ways in which people think that they can be assertive, aggressive, uh, and 
And always there's sort of this, oh, you took that wrong, you know, mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, I was just being nice, or, oh, I can't, I guess I can't say anything anymore because now everybody's just so sensitive, right? right? So what are, what are the rules, Amy? Right, so this is such a great question because I, I, I did these things at Riverside called the pastor's table where uh -huh. I would bring like 10 congregants to my house. I was there for one of those. You were, right. cool, right? Yeah. And um, this exact thing came up from one of the men at the table, uh -huh. poor guy. He said like, I just feel like I can't say anything because of, yeah. yeah. And one by one around the table, each woman told a brief story. When I was in sixth grade, my soccer coach touched me inappropriately. When I was my youth group pastor, like it was one right after the other. It was just, it was chilling. Right. And at the end of this, there were two men there, poor guys. They were just, you know, silent. And, and one of the women said, here's the rule. If you wouldn't say it or do it to your mother or your sister, don't say it or do it. Oh, there it is. Okay, there's the rule. Good. Okay. Pretty easy. Pretty easy. So I think men know when they are being appropriate and inappropriate, right? I think they know when they have romantic or sexual intentions, uh, and they're not personally mystified by this, but they live in the gray zone of deniability, right? Uh, so. Uh, that's where we have to be clear with ourselves and hold ourselves accountable for that, right? Listen, I don't know what it's like to be a man, but it sounds pretty scary to me. <laughs> well, all right. So um, I, I think we've, we've sort of broached this subject, um, but there are a lot of young women who are being called into ministry today. And they saw you as uh, this icon of hope, right? That yeah. she made it, yeah. right? And, um, and, and I know you well enough to say, uh, y your hopes for women are not dashed because of, of this experience. And uh, you're still, you still believe in the church and you still want uh, to encourage women in ministry and all of that, uh, but we, we have more than half of seminarians these days are women. And increasingly, they are not content to say, oh, I just want to be a children's minister. Or, oh, I just, you know, I'll be an associate, but I just, I don't know if, I'm, if I could lead a church. I mean, the women I see coming out of school now, uh, they're clear about who they are and their call more than ever before. Maybe yes. not always as clear as men are still because we're still in that transition period. Uh, but what do churches need to learn about how to listen to women, about how to respect uh, and, and give credit to women's voices? For instance, I know that when women preach, it's it, it, it often sounds different to the ear of people who have been in the pew for 50 years listening only to men preach, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. uh, and there's work to be done there, right? Mm -hmm. there's, there's deference to be paid. 
are there things that you would say to the church that always seems to feel like it's not ready yet, not ready yet, not ready yet? Mm. What do you want to tell search committees and churches about women in ministry? Well, George, you've been a, a leader on this front. Thank you for your mm-hmm. work to open doors for women, particularly in Baptist life. Um, my daughter Hannah always says to me that you cannot be what you cannot see. Ah. And so churches need to get women in their pulpits and up front. Mm-hmm. And I was actually talking to a colleague the other day who was trying to decide um, who to hire two candidates for a youth position, a woman and a man, and they're both good and whatever, whatever. It's important to get women up there to, for the little girls in your pews. Oh, yes. To, to look up front and see a woman pastor. I mean, that's what the church needs to do. Get those women up there and, right. and change the way future generations think about pastoral leadership. It, it's, it's absolutely right. I remember um, a, a young woman who grew up in our church and I, I baptized her and she went off to uh, college and then Harvard Divinity School and, you know, Anne, uh, Jernberg Scalfaro, uh, she eventually you know, became a resident here and she's a pastor in Denver now. Uh, but Anne told me, you know, as, as far as we thought growing up when she was here that we had addressed these things, uh, when I talked to her about becoming a pastor, she said, I, it never entered my imagination that I could do that because I never saw women preaching. Mm-hmm. I had male pastors yeah. uh, all these years. And uh, today, she tells me a story of a young child in uh, her church uh, who um, th- there was a question of a, of a man being a minister at the church. And, uh, and this, I think, little girl said, um, Mommy, can, can men be pastors? <laughs> can, can, well, well, of course, that's... That's kind of like that's where we want to go, right? Okay. That's it, it, it for for children to have that sort of open sense that whatever God calls them to be or to do, they can answer that call, and that the church will ratify that and will enable it and see it as normal, not exceptional. Sometimes I feel almost in despair about how the church has put limits on the expansiveness of the gospel and our ability to be in conversation with the world right. about goodness and healing and hope. Right. And for what reason have we done this? Yes. For hundreds of thousands of years. Yes. Said no instead of saying yes to everything that God imagines for the world. It's heartbreaking. It, and it's wrong. Well, and it, and, and then, you know, people go back to scripture and say, well, it's there. We're, all we're doing is following the scriptural text. And what I want to do is pull my hair out and say, yes, I, I understand the way you're reading that, but can't you see that even scripture is moving? you know, is, is trying to get us beyond the culture in which it was written and keeps breaking boundaries. Why did it, why did you think that it stopped when the last word of scripture was, was written? 
I mean, is the spirit not at work in the world still calling us to more? Uh, and this is, this, this seems to be a, a clear distinction between the more traditionalist and the progressive version of Christianity and all of our religions, right? But at what point did we get, did we reduce religion to a list of rules and punishments? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. How, how scarce and mm -hmm. limited and wrong that mm -hmm. is when good religion is really about all that God imagines and hopes for our lives and our communities and our world. Right. Why are we so scared of that? Right. Right. I don't know. I mean, isn't faith, to, to pick up on what you're saying, isn't it supposed to give us an imagination of God's dream for the world that we can then live into? And is God's dream for the world really as uh, limiting uh, for, to gender roles as we have experienced in uh, all these generations of church life? I find that to be utterly implausible. Uh, and uh, thank you for being part of the answer to that. And thank you. For us being, uh, you know, I, I think that's part of the joy of being colleagues with you, Amy, is that um, each of us has our role to play, right, mm -hmm. in all of this. And um, the faithfulness we have toward each other in this partnership and collegiality over time is one of the joys of life and ministry with you. Uh, I'm, I regret deeply um, the way things turned out in the end at Riverside for you, but I celebrate greatly uh, those five years of your being a beacon of hope way beyond Riverside, uh, but a voice of encouragement to so many people, uh, not only about women in ministry, but about the dream of God for the world. Thanks, Thank you, George. Good. Thanks. I, 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 I'm so grateful for the opportunity to have been at Riverside. I don't regret going. And I think um, I wouldn't change one single thing. I think I emerged on the other side with um, a, a firm conviction of who I am and what I believe in that means more to me now than it did before. And Great. I'm grateful. Well, we have more to discuss in another episode. So let's uh, pause there and we'll come back another time. Okay. Thank you. Good God is created by Dr. George Mason, produced and directed by Jim White. Guest coordination and social media by Upward Strategy Group. Good God, Conversations with George Mason is the podcast devoted to bringing you ideas about God and faith and the common good. All material copyright 2019 by Faith Commons.